On this episode of the podcast, we welcome a close friend of mine, my homeboy, my brother, the super, super inspirational Mr. Trevor Gates. He comes on to talk about a little of his story and how he got to be where he is today. We also went into detail about his vision problems and the amazing opportunity that he's been given to regain his vision through a new product called eSight. It's like an elect, they're like electronic glasses um, with like a camera on it that give you like, like films and videos, everything you're looking at it. And then it presents it to you in a way that you can see it and process it. It's like, it's like out of this world type of technology. So my dude's got a fundraiser going on. He's looking for contributors, people who want to give him this amazing gift of vision. He hasn't been able to see see well in 10 plus years. Um, and this, by the use of this, these glasses and this technology, he will literally almost be able to regain total and full vision. He'll be able to read um, at like almost 20-20 vision. He'll be able to see and identify people's faces and face structure to the point where he can like identify um, the color of your eyes, something he's never been able to do in his entire life. The dude is a one of the most amazing recovery allies. Um, he supports recovery. He's a member of our community and he does just awesome work in the community service work wise and volunteering and you name it, he's involved. So I think that's enough of kissing Trevor's ass. Let's give it up for my man, the great and powerful Mr. Trevor Gates. The opinions expressed in this podcast are the views of the NCR team and the individuals interviewed. We do not consider ourselves to be mental health professionals. Our mission is to explore the various pathways to recovery and to give a voice to those affected by or involved in the care of substance use disorders. Some content may be mature for younger audiences. Viewer discretion is advised. Are we live? Ready, set, go, Trevor Gates. Boom. What's going on, brother? How's it going, my dude? Welcome to the NC Raw podcast. Thank you for having me. Yeah, man. Um... Let me just let me just introduce this dude right here real quick. I, this is not something I normally do. Normally, I kind of um, just roll with it and allow the guests to 
introduce themselves and talk a little bit about who they are and why they're here and that sort of thing. But I just have to say that um, this kid right here, ladies and gentlemen, he is a true inspiration. I've known this guy for almost the entire time that I've lived here in Western North Carolina. He was one of the first dudes I met um, at school. And he became a very close friend, and he's been involved in uh, all of the recovery work that I do, uh, both on campus and in the community. Uh, he's a true friend. The dude is a warrior, man. So um, this is my dog, my brother. I absolutely love this kid right here, Mr. Trevor Gates. How's it going, y'all? What's happening? Not much. Enjoying this Sound of my voice. <laughs> you sound pretty good, huh? Yeah, I do. <laughs> I don't sound as weird as I think I do. Yeah. Uh, go back and listen to the, the last podcast. So you were on the show. We did a um, podcast at SEC, and you told a little bit of your story. A little blip. And one of the things that I do is I try to be... I think that everybody deserves a seat at this table to tell to share their story and share their experience and what they've been through and that sort of thing. Um, but I try to be like very methodical as far as like the timing and when and how we book guests and that sort of thing. And I always want it to be like a, appropriately timed and have them on at the right time um, for both, you know, them and for our audience. And that's why you're here tonight. You know, you we had talked in the beginning Mm-hmm. of NC Raw about very beginning about getting you on and we had conversations and like I was just I kept putting it off I kept putting it off and I didn't necessarily know why I was doing it good thing now but you know we know why now right yeah the universe um, revealed why the universe revealed why and you know like I said I, I think that everybody deserves a seat at the table everybody's story is just as valuable as anybody else like I want to have people from our community on the podcast I don't want to have you know the famous person from here or there I'm looking to have like regular people from our community who are doing the work and who have have the lived experience to to share their story share their message and share what what works for them when it comes to recovery and wellness and all that stuff. So um, with that being said, how how did you end up in this room with me? Like, where do you come from? What, how, where does Trevor Gates' story start? Well, um, it, I have a pretty long and um, eventful story. I guess I'll, I'll start from a little blip of the beginning beginning of my life I started off with a lot of dealing with a lot of adversity um I was born um with a lot of major health problems one being a rare kidney disorder called nephrotic syndrome of the kidneys um which to put it simply makes um the the kidneys will work reverse they'll get rid of the good stuff and they'll keep the bad stuff and it causes kidney failure it causes all sorts of major health problems. When it was discovered, it looked like my parents had beat me and they were actually accused of it um, until they figured out that it was a kidney disorder and it killed me twice. They had to revive me once in the ambulance and revive me once in the hospital. Um, so that's what my parents were dealing with um, at the beginning of my life. And then turned out I had epilepsy as well 
um, after um, a severe head injury, jump, jumped off my porch playing Superman, knocked myself unconscious. Uh, I think the seizure started a year or so after that. Um, so I was dealing with that. And I had a, um, a very rare nerve disorder called um, sensory integration disorder where um, basically I don't feel right, <laughs> pun intended. Um, I can't feel pain normally. Um, what would be intense pain for someone would be maybe a sting for me. Um, and I can't uh, detect hot, like hot um, water or something that something's hot. So I can't tell if I'm hurt. And weirdly enough, I can't tell the difference between cold and wet, which is just weird. <laughs> so I was dealing with all these health problems very, very young age. So I was, um, was missing, I had to miss a lot of school for that, um, which put me behind. So I had to um, be in um, classes, that um, extra classes at my uh, middle school, elementary school in Asheville to help me um, catch up, and um, they did a really good job. Asheville has a really good school si school system that really was able to help me, and I always had vision problems. Did you know that you had vision problems at a young age? Yeah, I I didn't have. It wasn't this severe. It was like, um, it, they just thought it was every every average everyday bad vision that could be corrected with glasses but I was constantly complaining that my glasses didn't help. So at so a young age, it was... You were wearing glasses, or they gave you glasses, mm -hmm. but they didn't, it didn't help. Didn't help. I still couldn't see the board in class, and nobody, everybody just thought it was because I didn't want to wear glasses, so I was making up excuses. <laughs> like, yeah, totally. That's, that's, why, <laughs> that's why I can't see the, see the board. Yeah. But... And Oh, so go on. And so um, in dealing with like the health issues at the same time as trying to figure out like what was going on with your vision and stuff like that um, had to be extremely challenging for a young man being so, so young, born with those health conditions, doing what you could, going to school, you know, being involved in your family, that sort of thing. Like what... How did you like, how did you, like, what were you into as a young man? Like, what kind of things did you do? How did you kind of like learn, entertain yourself? How did you spend your time? Um, well, I had, I, I didn't mention this at first, but I've also um, had, had and have severe ADHD. So that, that factored into a lot of my issues I had at school. And um, so there wasn't many things that kept my attention that, what I could really get into, um, cause you know, I couldn't sit down, but some of the few things that really kept my attention and was basically my therapy for many, many years was music, gaming, and, um, yeah, music and gaming was the two big things. Two things that you're still super into. Still super today. into, yeah. And we'll kind of get into that a little bit in your story. Before we get going too far... Uh, would like to take care of the housekeeping like we do every week. And the first thing we want to do is we want to recognize some individuals who are supporters of NC Raw, 
people who tune in every week and engage with us and talk with us and, and recognize these folks for achieving recovery anniversaries and for doing the the hard work and putting in the effort, you know, day after day, week after week. So the first is another good friend of mine, man. Um, but actually, both of these anniversaries are people who are very close to me, uh, oddly enough. But another anniversary that we would like to share is somebody who I met about 30 days ago, um, about a month ago. And we just like hit it off. He's an awesome guy. He's a family man. Um, when we met and we kind of started, he became a, like a spiritual friend, somebody who I meditate with regularly and who I, I talk with almost on a daily basis, a little bit here and there. Um, somebody that I'm super proud of. My man, Rob Smith. Rob. You know Rob. I know Rob. My man, Rob Smith, just hit 30 days. 30 days? In recovery today. Yes. So I'm super proud of Rob. Uh, He sent me that message this morning, and I just could not give him enough enough love. Dude, I'm so proud of that guy. So proud of you, dude. So fantastic job, Rob. Um, You know, keep up the good work. You have my full confidence that you're going to crush it. And uh, keep in touch, man. I absolutely love you, brother. The second recovery anniversary, this kid right here, man. I talk about how much I love you. I talk about how much I love Rob. This kid right here has been with me since day one, man. My little cousin, Kyle Lambert, he just hit one year in long-term recovery last week. And again, another dude that I'm just so proud of. Um, He's doing amazing things. He's, He's somebody like myself with this podcast. He's somebody that that found his passion. I talked about a little bit about his story a, a few months ago. He's somebody that, that found his passion and, and found something that really uh, drives him and motivates him to keep going. He, he just recently within the last like six months became an apprentice at a tattoo shop and he's doing tattoos now. He's always been like into art and like had that as a hobby, but he just, you know, grew distant from it in his addiction and got back into it. Um, he got back into it, I think in the treatment center that he was at like last October or last September of 17, he started drawing in there. And when he got out, he just like hit it hard, hit it hard. And he ended up landing a gig, uh, working like the front desk at a tattoo shop and sat up there and was just drawing and just drawing and really like created a relationship with the artist who then approached him about becoming an apprentice. So it's just like things like that, like finding that that thing, finding what it is that you're passionate about. Dude, I'm so proud of you, G. Kyle Lambert, one year in long-term recovery, bro. Congratulations. I will gladly be a test subject for your Dude, testing he's, practice. Dude, he's doing them, man. Every single day I see on Instagram, my sister, my sister's husband, he's he's giving out free tattoos. So I will take a free tattoo. You got to get a, a Greyhound bus to Tampa, Florida, and <laughs> he'll get you. He'll, he'll take care of you, Trevor. I promise you that. I'll do so. that. He can do my dragon. Yeah, he can do your dragon. So, um, yeah, we might make that happen because we, me and you have been talking about getting you down to Florida, mm-hmm. showing you some of that sunshine, haven't we? Yeah, letting me burn up and melt. We've been talking about it for a couple of years. So um, we want to follow this up by sharing and promoting community events that are taking place in our community. We want to inform you guys and educate you guys on things that are happening in our community that you can become a part of, that you can come out, show up. Most of the stuff we talk about are free. Um, that you can come out and, you know, get involved with. 
And the first event that I want to share is um, Down Home North Carolina, an awesome organization. They're like an advocacy organization over in kind of the Waynesville area. Love it. They are hosting here in Silva, North Carolina on Tuesday, November 13th, which is a week from tomorrow. They are hosting a working on mental health and addiction forum. So that's Tuesday, November 13th from 6 p.m. to 7.30 p.m. at 1233 Mockingbird Lane in Silva, North Carolina. Um, And I'll have to just confirm where that is, but I think that might be the library. Um, Information is on Facebook. You can find it through us. You can find it through um, searching Down Home, North Carolina. They do have like an RSVP link because they just want to try to find out who and what will be there. Um, but they're going to talk about all the things that we talk about on the show. They're going to talk about these things at a community level from peer to peer and find out what is happening in our communities and what we can do collectively, um, to, to resolve some of these issues. So, um, it says join our join neighbors from all across the County as we talk about how to create solutions for our families regarding detox and community support centers, more inpatient and outpatient, affordable treatment options, stronger communication across healthcare service providers, um, available public knowledge of treatment and service options that are out there, and reducing the stigma associated with substance use disorders and mental health disorders. So they're also offering transportation and childcare, right? So there's like no excuses. You got kids or you have... um, transportation problems like all of that can be is taken care of all you got to do is is show the commitment and the will to show up so you can contact chelsea at down home north carolina she has an email chelsea at down home north carolina.org or also via phone at 828-476-8189 and get involved again that's one week from tomorrow which tomorrow happens to be election day get out there and vote 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 so, um, again, this organization has done a, a lot of work regarding the election. They've done a ton of advocacy work. So, uh, like Trevor said, do your best to get out there, drop your vote. Um, coming up on November 7th, which is this Wednesday, well, I'm going to keep promoting these every time they happen, but one of the huge things that we talk about so often on the podcast is one of the most important um, things to have in place when it comes to recovery is a job, right? A career. A J-O-B. So the Western North Carolina Career Expo is taking place on Wednesday, two days from today, November 7th from 11 a.m. to 4 p.m. at the Western North Carolina Ag Center over in Asheville. It is uh, Western North Carolina's largest career fair and recruiting event right they're gonna have organ they're gonna have companies from all over western north carolina there holidays are coming up all kinds of people are hiring um if you're looking to advance your career or if you're looking for a job i would highly recommend going down there with a stack of resumes look and fly and talk to some folks introduce yourself and and just kind of like get those Create those relationships. So again, November 7th from 11 to 4 p.m. at the Western North Carolina Ag Center in Asheville. 
uh, the Western North Carolina Career Expo. So come out and come on down and check that out. Um, last but not least, Trevor Gates, uh, we have a Christmas party planned. Oh yeah, Christmas party. Christmas Eve, December 24th at 5 p.m. In this room right here, we are going to have, on, in this building, depending on how many people RSVP and plan to come, we might get the bigger room down the hall, the ballroom. But we're going to be having the first ever NC Raw Christmas party podcast. What that's going to look like, it's going to be us with our four microphones set up. We want to invite anybody and everybody from the community, your friends and your family, people who have been on the show, people who um, tune into the show, people who support us. We want you guys to come out. We're going to have kind of like a potluck thing. We're going to provide some food and we are going to play some Christmas music, drink some eggnog and some peppermint tea. And we're going to build those relationships and talk about recovery and talk about wellness and support each other through the holidays. Uh, that's on Christmas Eve. We do have an event set up um, f- on our Facebook page where you can get on and check it out. Um, we definitely want to invite anybody and everybody. We know that the holidays are can be a difficult time uh, for many people in recovery, myself included. You know, I'm up here all by myself. My family is 700 miles away. I'm going to be spending the holidays alone. So um, thankfully I have a support system in place. And if you don't have a support system in place, you do because NC raw is here to support you. So totally come out, come on out to that. Um, and, and have a good time with us. You know, we're going to, we're starting it off a little bit early. We're starting it off at like 5 PM. <coughs> Excuse me. We're starting off at like 5 PM. So people can come and go as they please. You don't have to stay for the whole two or three or four or however many hours it goes on. We're not putting it in time. We're going to start at five o'clock. We're going to sit down behind the mics and, and go as long as we need to. So everyone is invited to that. Next Monday night, our uh, next Monday night's podcast. Is, next Monday night is, what is it? Do you know what it is? Uh, you, threw, you threw a big event last year for this, man. You, ho- you hosted a big event. Veterans Day. Next Monday is Veterans Day. And so we do have a um, an awesome dude coming on the podcast to talk with us, uh, who I, who I will disclose a little bit later. But I wanted to in, to announce because I think that this is just an awesome um, act of service that somebody could do. I wanted to announce that <clears throat> Chef Stage over at the Cherokee Casino, they're the buffet restaurant out there. Uh, been there a couple times. I went with Caleb once. They are offering. To all military service veterans, active military, anybody that has proof of service is is invited to chef's chef stage at the casino between noon and ten p.m. for a free meal. Oh, dude, this food is is the bomb, bro. This food is amazing. So I know where me and my dad are going. I know you got some veterans in your in your circle. So, mm-hmm. but I wanted to announce that to anybody and everybody because the the food is amazing. Um, and they're, and they're offering that to all veterans and people of service. All you got to do is have any sort of ID. So hit up Chef Stage and uh, get you some free meal, man. Me and Caleb, we go, on, we go on Sunday nights. They have like crab legs and seafood deal. We, we tore it up, bro. We've talked about it a lot on the podcast. So um, Now I'm hungry. Yeah. <laughs> we didn't eat tonight, tonight did we? No. Um, 
So as we progress through the show, we're going to kind of talk about some things that are going on with you, Trevor, and some uh, just beautiful opportunities that you've been blessed with. And I wanted to announce to our live audience and people who might be turning tuning in, um, um, I announced last week that our engineer and producer, Courtney, has moved to Tennessee. And so like I am a one-man show operating and doing all this stuff behind the scenes and editing and all that. So um, we are not monitoring Facebook Live. I'm not watching it. I cannot see your comments. I don't know. Not, I do not know what's happening. But if you do have a question for Trevor Gates, if there's something pressing that you want to know about his story and or something that we're talking about, you can send me a private message on Facebook on Messenger, and I will be sure to get that to Trevor. Um, I'm just not watching the Facebook because I have too many, too many moving parts, too many things, too many things in front of me to keep my eyes on that. And I think that that takes away from the conversation that we're having. So again, if you have any questions um, for Trevor Gates or anything that you want to ask him or hear from him, just shoot me a message. My name on Facebook is Steven Steen. That's with a PH, Steven Steen. And I will be sure to ask Trevor. So Ask away. Ready, bro? Let's do this. So, um, the beginning of the show, you talked, you were born with, go ahead and let's like reset that. You, you were born with some health conditions. Mm-hmm. I was born with um, a rare cane disorder called nephrotic syndrome. Um, it killed me twice. They had to revive me. Uh, I was born with a nerve disorder. Um, I don't feel uh, pain normally. And I can't tell if something's hot or something's cold. The difference between cold and wet. Um, had severe ADHD, uh, and I was also epileptic for most of my young life. Been it's been in remission for the past ten plus years, but yeah, and had um, vision problems from the get go. It just it was nowhere near this this bad. It would it just seemed like it was regular everyday vision problems and was it 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 began to progress like at what point in your um studies and your young life did it like your vision drastically change it drastically changed um in the middle of my teenage years Mm -hmm. it got extremely worse and um it's when I finally had to like um, it. It there's two um, points where I, I can remember where it got extremely worse. It got extremely worse um, around fourth grade, fifth grade, and and then it got extremely worse around the ages of fifteen and sixteen, and just to the point where I couldn't see the board, um, I couldn't see the teacher's face from um, from too far away. And everything, everything was starting to get harder, not as hard as they are now. I could still walk around and not run into a wall or a person or anything else. <laughs> um, at, at what point in your life did you realize that like the that your vision was as poor as it truly is, like that that your vision wasn't normal, that the things that the things that you were experiencing, were much more extreme than the average kid who has to wear glasses? Uh, I realized that in probably 
fourth, fifth grade, I realized that, okay, other kids have glasses and they can see, but they're not having to get large print um, uh, everything. They're not having to put something to their face this close, you know. Um, they don't have to sit super close to their TV to see it. They can lay down in their bed and watch TV and not have to be close to it and stuff like that. They don't have to sit in the um, front of the classroom to see the board, but they have glasses, and so do I. So around that age, around fourth, fifth grade, um, I started realizing that something was different about my experience. Yeah, and you also mentioned that you um, suffered some from some pretty severe ADHD mm-hmm. and other mental health issues correct yes at what age did kind of that that begin was that kind of taking place around the same time yeah i was diagnosed with adhd pretty young i think about um five or six um and it was it was clear that i that a lot of kids were diagnosed um, with adhd because that's just what they doctors were doing yeah because you got adhd you got adhd you get a star you get a star um but i did i had adhd severely with the anger issues and not being able to sit down, the racing thoughts. Oh my gosh, the racing thoughts. Um, and actually because of the anger issues that come along with it, um, I actually got taken away from my parents for a week and got put in copestone because of your behavior. Yeah. Because of my behavior and my outburst, one of the, probably one of my most scarring memories from my childhood was do you, do you know what the the blanket method is? Um, I don't know if I do. It's where, um, especially with kids with ADHD, it's where they would um, to get a kid under control, they would wrap them in a blanket so they couldn't kick or um, punch and whatnot. And the teachers would usually do this, and a lot of controversy came up came from it because some kids were being smothered to death on accident. Mm-hmm. And um, I had that done to me. And I remember it being the most scarring thing. Scary. The only person who could calm me down, who had to come to the school, was my father. He was the only person who could handle me. What Like, what happened? Like, what were you doing that... I'd try to fight him. Fight who? The teachers. <laughs> yeah. I'd, okay. flip, I'd flip my lid and try to punch theirs. Uh-huh. And it, I was just... I was a mean little schnat. Why do you think that is? Because I had a lot of emotions that I wouldn't, um, I didn't know how to deal with. Yeah. A lot of racing thoughts that wouldn't quit. A lot of things going on that people didn't understand. Like, you know, um, the kidney disorder, the missing class, uh, the missing class because of it, and then not being able to do, I wasn't able to do things that a normal kid got to do. I didn't, I don't know how to ride a bike because I never got to ride one. Um, because with the kidney disorder, I had to have a um, permanent IV port in my um, chest. I don't know if the camera can see me, but right here there's a scar. And um, that's from the permanent IV port. And they had to give me this medicine um, through it um, every day to control it. And so, you know, I couldn't, I couldn't go out and play much. I was stuck in my room. And that was a lot of things that was really like probably fueled fueled the ADHD and the anger 
with all that stuff going on that I didn't understand why it was happening to me because I was just a kid. Yeah. And growing up and through those years, did you ever like develop any skills to learn to cope with those kind of emotions and things? Or was it not until your later years? Or I had um, things that helped. Video games. Video games was my therapy. Hobby number one. Hobby number one. Yeah. Spyro the Dragon. Not number one favorite because that's what my parents bought me because I couldn't go outside and play because I had that IV port. They bought bought me a PlayStation 1 and Spyro the Dragon. That Spyro game's about to come out, isn't it? Mm-hmm. I want to play that so badly. Yeah, I see you fire, getting fired up about it. It was... It's it's silly that a video game... That specific video... Video games in general are very important to me, but that specific video game is really, really close to my heart. Yeah. So I'm going to ask you this, man. Um... We were talking a couple weeks ago when you received this news that we're going to talk about on the podcast tonight. And I think one of the first things that I asked you, one of the things that I asked you in that conversation was, what's the, one of the first things that you're going to do when you get your vision back? Mm-hmm. And you, gave, you gave me two answers, but I think those might be a little bit different right now. Yeah. Um, you learn how to ride a bike, man? I mean... I can't ride a bike with these glasses on because I got, I got no peripheral. With oh, okay, them. okay. So we'll get into how that works a little bit yeah. later. All right. No peripheral. Smack dream. Do, do you remember what the two things you told me you wanted to do? Not exactly. You don't remember? No. You said you wanted to learn how to play guitar. Oh, yeah. And you wanted to learn Spanish. Exactly, yeah. And I was like, bro, you could do both of those right now. Why You don't It'd have just to be wait. easier to see. Yeah, that's true. I, I, can, I get that, but those aren't things that are holding you back. Those aren't things that you're vision is keeping you from oh no not at all <laughs> it'll just be it would just be so much easier to do with with vision yeah yeah for sure um and so at growing up i mean this is north carolina recovery always nc raw we talk about various pathways to recovery from substance use disorders mental health issues things like that um and growing up you kind of were um you experienced some some substance use disorders indirectly mm-hmm. right and, my mother yeah and so like i just it, you know it, i feel I don't, I don't even know what to say but i feel uh having to cope with your own personal mental health struggles having to cope with your um physical issues that you were born with and then the vision and then um the stuff at home with your family and the 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 um, substance use, you know, that the indirect substance use, that's a lot for a young man to 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 deal with, to cope with, right? Yeah, I guess so. Um, like what what did you do? How did you how did you view these things that were taking place in your life? Like how did you look at them? Um, especially in comparison to the way that you see him now? Um, well, uh, specifically like with, with my, um, with my mother and her, her battles with, um, addiction and alcoholism. Uh, when I was old enough to understand that what was happening was a problem. So when did that happen? Uh, around the age, I think I was, it was middle school, so I was like probably um, 
uh, 13, 14 years old when um, her liver started to really suffer. And they told her she was going to have some problems with it. And see, I never, I never knew until things got really bad that my mother had a substance use issue because she was using and she was drinking, but she was there. She was present in your life. Mm -hmm. She was present for the, um, she, she held it together. I mean, for someone that drank independently from the age of, um, like 11 until, um, four until she was 40, she held it together. Yeah. And so many people do, man. Many, many people do. I mean, I, I did for all of those years. I had, I had a job. I went to work. I paid my bills, you know? Um, I was miserable in here. Mm -hmm. I I didn't know how to live and that's how I lived. Um, so at what age was it that you kind of began to question around 13, 14? How old was she at this time? She was like, Oh, I would say, well, she's 45 now. I would say she was 30 something, maybe 38, 39. Mm hmm. Yeah, around that age. And what happened? Uh, you know, the doctors told her that she was, um, that her liver was starting to, the early stages of suffering from the, um, from the excessive drinking. Cause she had been drinking for years and years of her life. I mean, they used to put beer in her baby bottle mm-hmm. when she was a kid. And so it, it had, it had started, it was starting to really affect her liver and she was having some, health issues because of it and this that's the f- first time I ever was introduced this idea that my mother had a problem and still right then I didn't I didn't consider her an alcoholic I saw an alcoholic as what you would see on TV you know like getting flat out wasted partying every day you know that type of stuff what you see on TV yeah that's what I considered an alcoholic yeah because what, what society tells you an alcoholic looks like. Exactly. Mm-hmm. So fast forward, um, good few, like around the age of 15, 16, when it really became a problem and my mother had to go into um, rehab the first time. Um, when And they classified her as an alcoholic. I was like, what? That's bull crap. My mom's not an alcoholic. She might have a beer or two a day, but... She's like never been drunk around me once. So I didn't, you know, I was like, what? That's bull. And I was still like totally not buying into that she had a problem. It was news to you. Yeah, it was news to me. From what, from my pre-programmed idea of what an alcoholic was, what a person with a substance abuse problem was, um, didn't match up to what um, the image of my mother and so what did you do? I just denied it. Like, you did. Bull crap. What I don't did, know what they're talking about. What did she do? She did the same thing. Yeah. She did the same thing. And um it didn't it didn't click to me that she had a problem until they told her the first time, either you stop drinking or you're gonna die. And I didn't. I still didn't have a clear idea of how she could be counted as an alcoholic until I um, 
until I got into the human service program. Then I really started to understand it. But when the doctors gave her that news of you need to change your life mm-hmm. or else. Or else. I was like, you're going to, you're facing severe consequences. I was like, whoa, what? You probably, you took a step back and really mm-hmm. began to look at the situation a little bit differently. Yeah. It was a shocker. I I was like, okay, well. What were you about? 14, 15? Yeah, 15, 16, 15. Like that. So still in high school. Still in high school. What was high school life like for you with all this stuff going on at home? That's right because that's right around the same time that your vision also deteriorated. Severely deteriorated mm-hmm. from what it was as a, a young man. Now, did you ever have a diagnosis from a doctor about your vision? Like, did you mm-hmm. know that? Um, they you, totally missed it. You, so you didn't know that it was good. Like, there was no diagnosis that it would gradually get worse. Like, they thought put put a set of glasses on him. He'll be good. He'll Send be him on a, his way. He'll be Pat okay. Him on the back. And what? 10, 15 years later, when you're fifteen, sixteen years old, what My happened? vision's getting worse. What happens? I am struggling in school at that time. Really struggling. Um, I had the, a terrible problem with asking for help. There was there was more just my vision. I was having pride problems. I was having so many um, emotional problems surrounding my disability because um, in middle school, I'm going to back it up just a bit. In middle school, you see, I, I went to um, elementary school for the most part in Asheville, which had a great, great support system for kids that needed extra help. They didn't just shovel them, in, shovel them into special ed. But then I came over here um, to Jackson County uh, when I moved back, um, and I went to Cullowee Valley. And Cullowee was not equipped to assist a visually impaired kid that didn't exactly know that he was visually impaired. (coughs) I was struggling in the classes through most of the first part of my sixth grade year, and they came to me and said, we're going to switch your classes, and they shoved me into special ed because they had no no supports. I told them I can't see. They just thought I just didn't want to read, and that was an excuse. And ironically, um, because of that, I fell really behind in my reading because they weren't giving me, my he- giving me any help with my vision. So the thing that they thought was the problem became a problem because they didn't give me um, support for my actual problem. Well, yeah, because you couldn't see. So regardless of what you're studying and the rate of um, the rate that you're studying, you're it's still not gonna. Yeah, it's still not gonna solve the problem. You're still gonna struggle because you can't see what you're what I'm doing. What you're doing exactly. So I would. So they shoved me into special ed. And I was in there for um, mo- uh, the rest of sixth grade and most of seventh until a very, very special um, person came into my life. Um, her name is Amber Israel. She um, was a fresh, fresh out of the um, fresh out of WCU graduate. Um, special ed teacher who was the first person to really believe in me. 
Like if if she's listening, thank you so much for everything you ever did. Because I wouldn't be here without you. And uh, knowing you personally, knowing you the way that I know you, um, she saw something in you. She did. She knew that there was more to you than the quote unquote story that she was told about you. Mm-hmm. Right. She saw something in you. She realized I wasn't I wasn't meant to be in there. Yeah. And I was floundering. I was slipping through the cracks the longer I was there. And what action did she take? She went above and beyond the call of duty. There's not there's her call of duty. There's not a college class that could have taught her what to do. For me, most of them would just have gone on about their way and allowed me to stay there and collected a paycheck. She went above and beyond, and she started tutoring me. Like, she, like kind of like off-the-record type tutoring, like, or spending additional time with mm-hmm. you one-on-one time. She she switched up the schedule of how she, um, uh, when I my lessons and the other kids. So whenever um, the other kids were were at lunch or at recess she'd be catching me up on where I should be she um she'd teach me my lessons one on one and then when the kids came in for their lesson I'd get to go out and play at recess she put so much work into getting me out of those classes she advocated for me to get the um IQ tests and all the other tests you need to prove you need to take to prove that you don't need to be in special education classes. And even down to um, social um, socialization. She saw one thing that's a major thing that she did is she saw that because I was in those classes, I wasn't getting to interact with kids my age. So um, until she was able to negotiate me getting to at least go into the regular classes to to sit for a class or whatnot to get used to being around kids my own age. Mm-hmm. She got her now husband and father of her, of, of her kids um, to come and hang out with me. He was this um, really cool laid back hippie dude um, who, who can't, who would come and he would, she would like, she introduced me to him. She's like, well, you want to go play some basketball with him? Yeah, of course. So I got to play, he would come and play basketball with me while the other kids were in doing their their work and I was outside um, and playing. He talked to me. He talked to me about life. He was such a crucial person that walked in my life along with her because no one was there for me to talk to, for me to um, bounce ideas off of, bounce beliefs off of. And that turned out to be a test. She actually used me to see if he was marriage material. Oh yeah. Yeah. How long when did you find this out? I found this out when I when we reconnected. She found me on Facebook. Yeah, okay. I was going there. And so you went on and did your thing and you graduated went and we'll get into that a little bit, but ten years later? Mm-hmm. Ten plus years later, she finds me on Facebook. And I didn't I didn't remember her last name. Um I think I I didn't remember her name at all, so I saw a friend request from an Amber and I'm like, I don't know who this is. And, um, she had messaged me and said that, and introduced who she was. I was like, Oh my gosh. I had told people for years about, about her, how she was such an influence on my life. Um, and now she's on my Facebook and we're in contact and 
hopefully I'll get to she'll when she comes back to North Carolina I'll get to see her and meet her meet her kids and yeah she's she's a very special person imagine what your life would be like had this person not invested that time that effort that love and compassion that she did um like that's that's what's missing right that's those mm-hmm. are the opportunities like that's what it takes to um to 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 change our culture in our community got to believe in people yeah so she did you like you graduated from her class and you went on still in this program or they uh, she got me completely into the regular back into normal mm-hmm. everyday schooling yep and she she got me out she got me the test i needed and because if i would have stayed in there i wouldn't have received a diploma now did they do any type did they make any changes to like your the glasses that you wore or all like the time nothing worked nothing worked mm-hmm. i kept compl- i would kept complain keep complaining that I still can't see. I still can't see. I would have glasses on. I mean, you you seen me? I st- I had um, just a couple of years ago. I I was wearing glasses, and I still had my phone. Dude, right you in my were face. wearing glasses up until like a year ago. Yeah, and you still had your phone to your face. You still had all your books on um, ebooks on your tablet. Like mm-hmm. you could not see the projector in class. None um, of it. So. You may, but you graduated, like did moving on into high school. And this is by no means like, I just really want to preface this by saying like, this is by no means like, um, shine, shedding any negative light on Jackson County school system or anything like that. Like this is, you know, it's a challenging issue that you dealt with and grew up with. Exactly. I hold no hard feelings. No hard feelings, but you, you went on to high school and like, struggled to get through but you graduated like did they have any type of accommodations to help you some here and there i had i had an um an i an iep and i whatever you say, however you say that the um when you have a plan of support i forget what the acronym is um and they 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 had more support than the middle school did but it still wasn't super super adequate um i was i still wasn't i wasn't prepared for college Really, honestly, um, you if things would have went the way that um, the doubters in in on my in my journey and the the people that didn't believe in me thought it would, I wouldn't. You would have never met me because I wouldn't have been in college. Um, I was in a I was in the occupational course of study at Smoky Mountain High School, which is where what it sounds like they um, get you ready and train you for the workforce, which didn't work because i had a disability that uh, the jobs they wanted me to do i couldn't do yeah they wanted me to yeah i've heard some horror stories from your uh the work that you did yeah your employment employment (laughs) employment yeah there you go yeah so they so i went through that program and um i wouldn't i want to do another shout out I wouldn't have made it through through graduation if it wasn't for another person. And I hope he's watching. But Bob Reed. Bob Reed was um, a 
choir teacher and band teacher at my school. He was the biggest support. I tell you, in my journey, the right people got thrown in my path when I needed them. When I didn't believe in myself at all, the universe threw the right people there to push me along to the next part. He was the biggest support. He listened when um, when I talked, and he, he gave me the solos to build my confidence, and um, he was just awesome. But he's Bob. That guy's still supporting you. He's still supporting. He's me. still showing you love, right? To this day, he's the like he's the mo- one of the most supportive people I've ever met. He's awesome. I love Bob. He he gave he gave um he gave to me try me trying to achieve this wonderful opportunity. He gave more than he needed to, more than he should have. For the folks who are tuning in. Um, let's just go ahead and say it and then we'll kind of cover it a little bit later as we progress through your story. But what is that opportunity that you've been given? Okay. I've been waiting for this. That we're, opportun- we're, we just went for like almost an hour and we haven't even, haven't even talked about it. Yeah, and, Come on. Okay. Here it comes. So I have the opportunity to get my hands on this amazing, um, piece of technology called eSight, eSight eyewear. These glasses are um, designed to bring the severely vision impaired their vision back. And I got to try them on. They worked. I saw 2020 people, 2020 and better, just with these glasses. Just with these glasses, I was able to see a person's face, their eye color, a Mountain Dew bottle 10 feet away from me. And you didn't... um you hadn't done that in how long? You hadn't been able to see that clear how in how long? Absolute years. Like 10 plus more years. I Even when I could see, I still couldn't see people's eye color. Yeah. I couldn't see that well. Even even when I could see people. And it was incredible. In, incredible. Yeah. If you listen to the video, I'm crying in it. Okay. You want to go ahead and play the video? Let's do it. All right, let's play the video. Watch for, this. Guys. This is like a minute and a half long um, video. This is the the very first time that Trevor watched put these glasses on. This is the first time that Trevor put the glasses on. This is your reaction. This is my initial reaction. Your initial reaction to reading something off of your phone in 2020 vision for the first time at normal distance. Normal distance from looking into a woman's eyes and being able to identify her eye color. Shall we do it? Let's hit it. Let's hit it. And the audience is watching the video right now. It's about a minute and a half long of him um, watching the video. This part, it won't play through. You can't hear it. Okay. Because it's only on the live stream. Um, and when the video wraps up, we will, uh, can they still hear us? No, they cannot hear us. And, but you're talking to her, you're talking to the lady. I can see the smile on your face, man. Is it? It's pretty far out technology, man. (laughs) It is. It's like something out of Star Trek. Yeah. That's what I keep telling people. It's like I'm Georgie over here. (laughs) Georgie over here. Yeah, just it's incredible. I never thought there'd be something like this available for me. 
Yeah, that's incredible, man. That's so... And the thing is, is you didn't see it coming. Literally. No pun intended. <laughs> I'm sad people can't hear that yeah. part. <laughs> uh-uh. No pun intended. You didn't, you didn't, like, it's just, like you said a few minutes ago, the right people at the right time. Exactly. It, it seemed like, it seems like the universe has put the right people at the right time when I needed someone in my corner. Yeah. I, and I know we're going to talk about this eventually, but I We're see, back. Go ahead. I see life as like an, an MMA fight. There's multiple rounds. And at times I'm winning and my stamina's up. I'm good. I'm going. I'm a warrior. But there's also times where I've been beat down and the ref has almost had to stop. Yeah, but you're like the Trevor that I know, man, like since I've known you, um, you've always been up for the challenge. Mm-hmm. You know, like you always have been up for the challenge. You've always been eager to put in the effort. You've always been eager to prove the people who doubted you wrong. That was my motivation right? like for years. Your pride um, has consistently, like, from an outsider looking in, like your your pride and your passion and your drive, like your dedication in school, um, all of those things. It's just it, it's so respectful and so responsible for somebody your age and somebody who's been through what you've been through to continue to um just to have that that attitude you know consistently it's it's i didn't have it i I didn't i did not have it so um we played the video at the top of the live stream there's a link that tells your story Mm mm-hmm in full length. In full length, in your own words. And there's a little button to help contribute to your efforts and to what you're trying to do. These glasses cost $8,500. i have already raised... Go ahead. I've already raised um, $2,100 and something dollars, like $110. And I need y'all's help. I need the peeps' help. I need my supporters' help because I tell you all, I'm going to level with you. I know you're all, you're not all in the room with us right now, but this is something I really need. I want to see the world again. I want to see my friends sitting right here again. I want to see my mother's face again. And it might sound dorky, it might sound pointless, but I want to play a game and actually be able to see it again. A video game. A video game, exactly. So if you please donate, I will appreciate and love whatever you can do. If you can donate, if you can share, you rock. So let's let's wind back a little bit and let's get into um, we we're talking about your early struggles and we we're talking about um, those few people, those Bob Reeds and what was the other woman's name? Amber. Those Ambers and those Bob Reeds that and Mrs. Doherty saw you for the person that you were and that showed you um, that in that attention, right? And really worked with you. Graduated high school and you wanted to go to college, pursued college. Like how did that I wanted to go to college. Mm-hmm. Um I wasn't super, super, um, I didn't know what I wanted to do. I was like, a, I was like the classic kid, um, 
coming out of high school, I didn't know what um, direction I wanted to go in life. I didn't want to know what I wanted to be. But I had I had a significant um, event happen um, where one one person um, didn't believe in me, said one sentence to me, and I knew from that moment that I was going to do everything I could to go to college because I, I already had I already had to want to because but before this happened, I just want to go to college because that was the thing you you did you know. That that was that was my mindset. I didn't really I didn't have a direction, but this person when I told him, it was, um, a lady in the school system. When I told told her that I wanted to go to college, her replies to me were, "I don't think that's a good idea. You couldn't handle it. You couldn't survive." And I said, "But I'm but I'm going to." I said, "I think she said I think that'd be a really stupid idea." And right then, I was like, well, now I'm going to do it. <laughs> Light that fire, baby. Exactly. Uh-huh. To prove them wrong. And so you did that. And you, what was the transition like having um, struggled visually in middle school and high school, having no resolution to this, this Barely problem? Barely support. No, limited support. What did you do? How did you how did you get like how did you start that process and and what happened? And had had your had you already at what point did you like begin to um really like see what was happening at home too with your mother's substance use and like had that happened before you went to college? Was it with um the 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 main incident with my mom mm-hmm. that happened before. Yeah. In at, high school, in high school. So what happened? Well, um, she had been to rehab, um, a second time and didn't, it, um, it didn't work that go around and it, she kept, she was still drinking. And one night, um, she, she fell out and we had to call the ambulance she wasn't responsive, and they took her to the hospital, and um, the doctors put her on life support, and they told us that the next 12 hours to come were going to be crucial because they didn't know if she was going to wake up, and... I was pretty sure that I'd lost my mother. And how old were you? I was 18. Getting ready to graduate from high school. Getting ready to graduate from high school. It was, I cried and cried and cried, bro. Like, I was I was pretty certain that I was going to be burying my mother before I walked the stage. And you were in the hospital room with her? Mm-hmm. What'd you do? Well, my dad had went to go get me and him some change of clothes and something to eat. So I got the opportunity to sit with my mom while she was um, on life support. And um, I held her hand and I looked around and noticed that you know no one was there to hear me. And I started talking. And I, t- I said, Mom, I know you can't hear me. And I don't know if you're going to be able to hear me again. 
ever again. But if you can hear me at all, please, please don't go. Don't go now. Uh, I still need you here. I'm not ready for you to leave. You haven't seen me walk the stage. You haven't seen me graduate college. I'm going to go to college. I'm going to graduate college. You have to be there for that. And you haven't seen me have kids. You're going to have grandkids one day. And I need you here. Please, please don't go. And sorry. <clears throat> um, and during it, um, she had actually woken up. Yeah. Leading up to this point, she had been pretty unresponsive. Mm -hmm. Pretty unresponsive. And in the middle of my um, really emotional, tear-filled um, plea to her, she had woken up. She was able to hear me, and but she didn't let on to it. She just sat there and listened to me. And until I got to the end, I, was, I wasn't saying anything. I was just crying. And she squeezed my hand and said, I'm going to be here. One of the things, right before, right before that happened, the thing I said to her was, please fight this. I can't fight this. If this was a person, they wouldn't be hurting you. I can't fight this for you. And right then, she grabbed my hand and said, I'm going to be here. And she made a recovery. Four, four years sober. Um, probably close to four and a half now. Congratulations, Mother. I love you so much. She fought like hell. And that lit a fire in you. Mm -hmm. Seeing her go through that. I knew from that day that um, I wanted I wanted to make sure that no other person, I know that's unrealistic, but I want to make sure that fewer and fewer people had to sit there and watch their loved one be ripped away from by forces they couldn't stop themselves. What'd you do? I found my calling and I didn't I didn't know about the human service program. Um at first, it wasn't a well-known program when I came in. Yeah, let's unwind that a little bit. You um, you wanted to go to college. Mm -hmm. and you had that like experience with somebody who told you that you weren't, air quotes, equipped right. to be a college student, yeah. right? which motivated you. And then you had this situation with your mother that also motivated you to take action and move forward and be of service. And you enrolled. Mm-hmm. And it wasn't in this field immediately. Is that correct? Like you yeah. started studying what? I started just doing general ed. General I, ed. I thought about being a teacher. I wanted to teach music. I wanted to teach history. Bounce around ideas. Um, and uh, didn't really know what I wanted to do. I knew I wanted to help people. Uh, I didn't know what or how, where to start. And... Then a friend of mine had found the human service program. She was going in it. So when I read about it, I decided, you know, let's go do an interview and see if I get in, you know. And I did. So prior to that, you were kind of undecided. You were just oh, getting, yeah, barely undecided. Working on your general ed. Were you um, doing well in those classes? Were you struggling because of your vision at that point? I was struggling. And... At a, 
actually ran in before I got to the um, human service program. I actually ran into some some pretty significant bumps in the road that nearly um, made me drop out. Mm-hmm. Uh, I had I had to take developmentals to begin with um, to get to get those those base those um, that foundation built up in reading and math because I couldn't write a paper to save my life and two plus two equaled, equaled fish to me. <laughs> um, and I had failed or um, didn't pass um, the first time I took the developmental English. Um, I just didn't connect with the teacher. And um, I was told at that time by my, uh, at that time that maybe college wasn't for me. And walking down the halls crying i it was just another bit of another bit of fire i wasn't going to i wasn't going to stop there so i got remotivated then another bump in the road um this this time it was another incident with my mother uh she was and she's okay with me saying this um my mother was brutally raped by a man we thought was our a family friend I didn't know him and an unknown man she was brutally raped and brought back to our house um she had went out uncharacteristic uncharacteristically went out after we almost lost my niece because she was born with some major problems and I was almost out for the count there and it was that was probably one of the hardest things because I blamed myself for a long time because I was the closest one to the um, bedroom where the door was, front door, and I didn't hear, I didn't wake up. I used that to blame myself. Um, I broke. I completely broke mentally. I wasn't, I wasn't there for her um, as emotional support. She had to be there for, for me. That I... I beat myself up that up that up about that for a long time because here she was the one that was hurt but she's having to pick me up cuz I'm the one that crumbled and around that times when my depression got really really bad and you had dealt with um depression depression for most of your life and specifically your adult life yeah it started in middle school and then this um this event led to a heavy 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 levels of shame that really catapulted that depression Mm -hmm. all these people telling you that you couldn't do it you couldn't go to college and you struggled to see and um it was kind of like the the build-up and then that's what you were what you were left with is that that extreme level of depression what did you do i um trucked on for as long as i could and contemplated suicide a lot um then i got into the human service program you could i bet you could you could say that um when I started the human service program, we were in that first class together. I'm quite a bit different than I was then. 
Yeah, there's no doubt about it, man. I, I can remember that that first day that I met you um, in class. I think it was my second semester. I started a semester before you and um, just quiet, reserved, disengaged, not involved, um, just kind of like doing your own thing, you mm -hmm. know? And I was in early recovery <clears throat> at that time too. And I was like really trying to figure out like who I was and what this life, what of recovery would, would be and what would it would look like and dealing with some, some things at home and relationship stuff. And, um, there's no doubt about it that you're not, not the same person that you were that day. When I see you in class today, you're involved, you're engaged, you check on our classmates, you hold yourself to one of the highest standards of anybody that, um, that I know in the program. And yeah, I'm just, I'm just so proud of you for I'm living life, but now. you've done all the work, man. You have done all the work, right? Like mm -hmm. you found something that, um, relates to you. You found something that resonates with you and connects with you and you've embraced it and you've worked with it and you've really put in that intentional effort to better yourself since the, since you started this, right? Since you started this, this pathway or this approach, this, um, these practices, mm -hmm. right? You, you've been involved in it since the beginning. So at what point, did you, you're, so you roll into the human services program, you went through the traumatic experience with your mother. At what point did you, your vision really start to deteriorate rapidly? And what were you, like, what were your grades like? And how did you like, because at SCC, at the, at the community college level, um, one of the most amazing things about that school is the level of resources that are available to students. So all those barriers, yeah, all those barriers that you um, ran into in middle school and in high school, they had a remedy for. Oh right? yeah, at SEC. But until you found all of those resources, and or until you discovered all those resources and began to take advantage of them, like. Um, I mean, could you imagine, like, how do you, how do you write a seven page paper without being able to see, without being able to type? And I, not having, um, the proper education to do that. Leading up to that. Leading up to that. Yeah. Leading up to that. How do you, um, how do you like, uh, proofread and like, you know, all that stuff. So like, what was that, that progression in that learning environment like? It it feels like it took forever, but in all honesty, it took from the moment I stepped into the human service program, it took off like a like a rocket. Like I had the support of um, S uh, Southwestern Community College with their magnificent stu uh, student support services, disability services. I got the material in a way that I could actually absorb the information. I got it, the test put in a way where I could actually take it. 
I got extra, um, extra, extra time. Um, every issue I had, they had a solution for. Um, and, and my vision wasn't even as bad as it is now then. And they were doing an, a phenomenal job. My vision, I would, I would say, um, you see, I didn't go, I did a really bad move. And I didn't go back to the eye doctor for four years. Um, after like one time, one time in the like 11th grade, I didn't go back for like three, three, four years. So around my second semester, did you not go back because you doubted their capabilities mm -hmm. in correctly diagnosing your issues because of all the negative past experiences and lack of resolutions and lack of answers for so many years. I just didn't feel like it would help. But your vision drastically changed. Oh, yeah. My vision deteriorated rapidly in that short amount of time. When I, last year, when I went back to the eye doctor um, for the first time to get checked because my vision was getting... Worse, 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 worse. They said that it was absolutely incredible how much it deteriorated in that short little window. Of three years. Of three years. Mm -hmm. And what did they suggest? Or what was the... They had no re no recommendations. Uh, so again, hey Trevor, we got bad news. Your vision has rapidly declined, but we don't necessarily know why... Or how, or have a remedy for it. Exactly. Am I? And I asked the question: Am I going blind? We don't know. It's it's actively deteriorating though. So they sent me to doctors and doctors upon doctors. I went to even some of the best at Duke University, mm -hmm. who still couldn't figure out um, why it was this was happening. Why my vision was deteriorating. They eventually figured out that it is a um, genetic problem, a genetic variant of, ugh, I can't say this word, macral degeneration. It's a weird ver um, variant of it where basically um, macro degeneration, it starts. What's it called? Mac, ugh, I can't say the word. Um, macular degeneration. Nomacular degeneration? Yes. And what is it? Basically... It's a problem with not the eyeball. It's a problem with the brain itself. And it starts to take your vision like this. It starts to go in. It takes your peripheral. And then it just zeroes in. Mine was weird. Mine was doing that, but I had terrible vision in the center also. Usually someone with this condition will have clear vision um, looking straight ahead, but I didn't. I couldn't see close up or close or far away. And it's that's basically what what they have told me. It's a it's similar to a variant of that. That's the closest thing to a diagnosis they've been able to give me. Hmm. So I just wanted to see like what it said about it. Macular degeneration is the leading cause of vision loss, affecting more than ten million Americans. More than cataracts and glaucoma combined. It's considered an incurable eye disease. Is 
It's caused by the deterioration of the central portion of the retina, the inside back layer of the eye that records the images we see and sends them via optic nerve from the eye to the brain. The retina's central portion, known as the macula, is responsible for focusing central vision in the eye, and it controls our ability to read, to drive a car, recognize faces or colors, and see objects in fine detail. Wow. And even after all that, they said it's a, they think it's a variation of that. They don't necessarily know that that is. That's what it is. What it is. Yeah, they don't, they don't know. They said it's basically acted like that, but the eyeball itself is healthy. Yeah. And so what, getting this, this news, um, an incurable disease, right? Basically having a doctor, some of the best eye doctors at Duke University. Scratching their heads. Scratching their heads and ultimately telling you that you'll never be able to see again, right? Right, basically. Or they weren't sure if it was going to completely go away, but they couldn't, it they wasn't going to come back, that's for sure. How did you handle that news, man? I, it was a really big hit. It was a really, really severe hit because... Now it was all in, um, it was all put out there on the table, and I had known I was visually impaired. I knew that. I knew I was starting to have major trouble getting around. But leading up to that, because you didn't have that, like, severe diagnosis, severe news, like, you were always, like, accepting it, dealing with it working on resourceful ways to live with this problem. Exactly. And then once you receive this news that, hey, it's not, it ain't looking good, man. There's not much we can do about it. Yeah. We don't even know exactly what the problem is still. We're just saying it's kind of acting like this. We think it's a variation of this. But your eyeball is healthy, but it's still going. So, but it's going like this. How did you how did you keep going, man? I leaned on people. Yeah. I used my supports. I meditated like crazy. The supports, which is something that you took action with a year, year and a half before mm-hmm. and started building up and putting these people, places, practices, putting them in place and having them available to you to take advantage of. Cause mm-hmm. earlier in this conversation, you said that it was hard for you to ask for help. Oh, so hard as a young, as a young man, mm-hmm. it wasn't something that you were comfortable with, which I think is totally normal. Like uh, that's all of us, right? That's, that's, I felt like if I asked for help, that was me admitting I was stupid. Yeah. Like the teacher told me in class. And that's a part of the human experience. I think that's something that's in all of us, right? Mm-hmm. We, we tend to not get to that point but you humbled yourself and found a way to do that. And by doing that, you learned these skills. You learned these practices. You applied them to your life. Meditation, studying the Dharma, having a close network of people, like-minded people Mm -hmm. around you and in your circle and in your corner. Correct? Yeah. I built a support army. And by 
doing that, when you receive this news from the doctors, what did you do? I threw myself into them. I threw myself into those, that support. I remember just a shout out to um, the head of our program at SEC, Lori Clancy. Um, she was the first person. That woman gets mentioned more on this show than anybody <laughs> else. Yeah. She Go told on. me, and I think I mentioned this on the last appearance, but when I came and told her, she said, I can tell that you're getting depressed about this. I can tell this is hitting you hard, but she, she looked at me and she got, and she got forceful. She got stern with me. She said, you are not going to go into that dark place. I know that's where your mind is going. You're not going to do it. I'm not going to let you, you're not going to go down that road of depression. Um, and I said, okay, I'm going to, I'm going to try. I'm going to try. It was, it was hard, but she put her foot down and forbade me forbade <laughs> from going down that road of depression that I was on a crash course to. And yeah, I, I called people. I called you. I called my other friends. I talked to people. One thing that was always so hard was to tell people how I was feeling, told them how scared I was. Um, and I meditated like crazy. Almost a year of meditation straight. How many days in a row you got? I got, I think it's 168. That's what's up, man. Add, and I can add it in. Yeah, yeah go ahead. I'll, I'll let you do it this time. Before before I had um, 100 and, 109, but I lost that account. But those days still count. So technically... 268 days in a row. Yeah. It's paying off. It's paying off. Yeah. And shortly after you receive the um the news right you were able to take advantage of some pretty phenomenal community resources in our area you got connected with some folks that are doing division some of the blind out of Asheville. Mm -hmm. phenomenal help they hooked me up what do they do they they hooked me up with with services that's um they hooked me up with they covered my transportation freedom taxi um local taxi service call them um they they provided me with assistive technologies that changed the game i went from a a b student to a straight a student with their with the resources they provided with me because of the tools mm -hmm. that you had available to you tricked out laptop Screen readers, magnifiers galore. They gave me my cane. They gave me the cane training. Uh, everything I needed. Yeah, leading up to this point, you were like stumbling around campus. Yeah, finding your way around. You did. You couldn't recognize people's faces. Mm -mm. Right. Like, what was it? What was it like before you connected with the Vision of Blind? What was it like? Just everyday things that we take advantage of. That like the getting around getting around campus i mean for those of you who haven't been to scc um there's a lot of steps it's built on the side of a mountain right <laughs> yeah just to get from building to building um first 
just to get from building to building from somebody who's attached to this cellular device all the time, it can be difficult, right? Right. So before leading up to connecting with the services of the blind, you didn't have, um, you didn't ha- you didn't use your walk a walking stick. I didn't because you didn't know that you needed one. I didn't know I needed one. I knew I was having trouble, but I wasn't. Uh, I didn't. I didn't know that that would help, and I definitely didn't want to accept that help. Yeah. And so they were able to connect you with uh, a laptop that is suitable for somebody with this type of disability. Mm-hmm. They were able to connect you with tools that you can use in the classroom to see things like the blackboard or the, the screen um, that's used in a college classroom. They were able to connect you with transportation mm-hmm. right around town because you'll never you were told you'll never be able to drive. Exactly. I think that might change, though. They're not gonna get put in license. Hold, in on, my hold hand. bear with me, man. With the with the uh, technology that's coming, man, um, and they're able to kind of introduce this walking stick to you. Life changing. Yeah, but you, dude, we had this conversation when they were talking about it. You were you were hesitant. Mm-hmm. Correct. I was really hesitant. Uh huh. I didn't want to do it. I didn't want to use a cane. I didn't want that indicator of hey, look, this guy's vulnerable. He can't see. Yeah. I didn't want, I didn't want to go, I didn't want to have to explain to the people, uh, oh, you haven't been using a cane um, since. Why now? Why do you need it now? But you humbled yourself to do it. Mm-hmm. We had this conversation. You remember I was telling you about my friend Greg from Detroit? Greg. My man Greg, he, um, he has, has something very similar to you. He lives down in, he lived down in Tampa. I think he's back in Detroit now, but he had something very similar to you. And he's from a um, rough neighborhood, difficult neighborhood to live in, in, in the heart of Detroit. And he refused to use his walking stick because of what you just said, because of the vulnerability um, he's, he was like, listen, man, if I walk around with that walking stick, I'm a target. I'm going to get mugged and I'm going to get robbed for whatever I got on me because they know that I'm vulnerable. Um, but you humbled yourself, right? Mm-hmm. You picked it up. I picked it up and ran with it. And what's not li- literally. <laughs> and what's, what's life like using the stick now? It gave me a bit of freedom that I was forced to give up with my visual disability. It gave me a sense of safety. I could go downstairs and not be terrified. I could walk around and not have to explain to someone, oh, I'm sorry for running into you. I can't see. I wouldn't have to have that initial conversation with people of, oh, just so you know, I'm vision impaired. You know, they could see it. They could see the glasses. They could see the cane. I wouldn't have to have that that initial, um, this, this is what's wrong with me. This is why I might not able to do this or whatever. It was so freeing. And it was so like, it was like mind blowing how people reacted in actually a good, a good way. People, people react in like somewhat of a compassionate way where they'll like, they'll see you come in, they'll hold the door open for you or they'll, or they'll get out, out of the way. way. Yeah, yeah. They'll step out of the way and, and kind of clear, um, clear room for you. And I think that's like a good, a good metaphor for life, man. You know, it's like these things that we're afraid of are nine times out of 10, the answer to many of our problems, right? Yep. <laughs> like you just talked about how, how freeing it was. 
And it just like two instances of like the first couple of weeks that I had my cane. First, the first time I went um, to SEC with it, um, a lady ran into me. She was on her phone. I could I could hear it because I can hear um, hear the ding of fa- the Facebook Messenger. Uh huh. And she st- <laughs> she started to like get mad before she looked up. She's like, oh, did you- oh I'm so sorry. And it was like, yeah, <laughs> it's okay. It was it was funny because it's like, wow. Yeah. Now I don't have to explain why I walk into people. And just the level of independence, that feeling, right? To know oh, that, yes, right? It's just like it has to be just overwhelming to know that, like, like that. I see you around campus, bro. You ain't scared now. Mm-mm. There's nothing stopping you. This dude walks up and down three flights of stairs every single day. Mm-hmm. In, in one building it's it's I, I have no fear with it now it gave me that bit of free freedom back mm-hmm. something that you had had in a very long time very very long time did you notice a difference in your grades they in, in your performance after gaining access to all of these tools i got on the president's list uh-huh i got multiple academic awards leadership awards because I was able to that freedom allowed me to um really get involved um I am working on my second semester on the president's list wow it my grades drastically improved I what didn't have terrible grades but if they the universe put division of the blind in my path when I needed them, so my my dreams didn't have to suffer because of this um, problem I was having. But yeah, and that's that's like with all of the things that happened to you mm-hmm. in your life, the two teachers and individuals in school getting into the program at SEC, you meeting the your support systems, right? Don't be modest, you. Yeah. Well, there's more than that. It's it's the the organization, mm-hmm. us together. People have come and gone, but it's the team, mm-hmm. right? There's always a team. It's not. It's never just me and you. Never. It's never just me and you. There's always a team. But people have come and gone. People have graduated and moved on. But there's a, there's more than just us two. Exactly. That are doing it. But, but all those all those things came in at at the right time. The right time in your life. But. Just to, I'm, I'm going to brag on you a bit. You you did come to my life in a crucial time. Because I've told you that um, when me and you met and when you started, I say, pestering me <laughs> to come to refuge recovery meetings, um, I was severely, severely depressed and suicidal. And my anxiety was out the roof. My depression was crazy. My vision was terrible. And, um, yeah, I was... I was contemplating suicide on the regular and I was pretty um, decided that I was going to end it that weekend before I came to that um, refuge recovery meeting, that first one. What, what made you change your mind after going to that meeting? What was different about this, that, excuse me, about that room about the people in that room, about what we were doing. 
that changed your mind? I guess when I walked in that room and people that were around me that been through some heavy, heavy stuff welcomed me without judgment, without um, belittling me, without any sort of requirement, just welcomed me in and said, let's heal together. And I don't know, something about it um, was just the thing I needed. It was really powerful, and I, you know, I'm, I'm still here. I'm here talking. So, obviously, I didn't go through with anything. And you're still showing up. And you're I'm still, still doing the work mm-hmm. at home in the group. You show up every Sunday night with us. What, um, what was it about the pest, the, the pestering, <laughs> that um, made you want to come? I guess. Uh, after a while, if you would just ask like once or twice, I would just have been just have blown you off. Cause I, I was in a, a state where I didn't think no one gave a, like this dude's just full of crap. Yeah. I don't need to hear it. Whatever. I don't need to hear it. He didn't really care about me. He just wants me to come to his little group thing. He didn't really give a crap about my existence. And you just kept on, kept on. And even after every excuse I gave you every, Oh, I got a paper to write. Oh, I got homework to do. I don't drive. Oh, you'll give me a ride? Um, I got to do something with my family. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Every excuse. Finally, I was like, you know what? Fine. I feel like total garbage about myself. Why not just give him, just give it a go? So I took you up on your offer, and I'm glad I did. What, um, I'm glad you did too, Trevor. I really am. Um, we've done a lot of, a lot of good things for this community, for that campus. You've supported me in my recovery. Um, you've helped me grow. You've helped me heal. And, you know, in a short period of time, like we've only, we've only in the grand scheme of our existence, this lifetime, we've only been doing this for like two years, Mm -hmm. right? It been, feels like so much longer. It does. What'd you say? 168 days? Mm-hmm. Like, I mean, that's that's a tiny piece of this enormous puzzle of life. It is. Right? Um, and we're going to continue to do it, you know? We're going to continue to do it. So we were talking about all the things that were just there for you at the right point, at the right time of your life. And... Um, that's not the end of the story. It's not. One more thing came into your life. Not too long after you were given the news that, is it, or what do they say? Like you're legally blind? Legally blind. Mm-hmm. Not too long after you were given the news that you were legally blind. And you gained access to these phenomenal resources through the services of the blind and kind of, began that healing process and that learning process on what life would be like without, with very, 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 very limited vision, what life would be like. But something happened. You met somebody. I met somebody. Somebody that has a tool you're good, right where you are. So, oh, 
I know who you're talking about. <laughs> yeah. You're talking about a lady that I'm so blessed to have met because mm-hmm. I never would have tried Eastside without her. Her name is uh, her name is Dr. Mary Sedgwick. She is an ambassador for Eastside. And I met her, met her, sorry for the Southern grammar, um, through Open Door, for Open Door Center for Spiritual Living. Shout out to my Open Door people. Thank you so much for your support. Um, they, I met a lady, a lady there through Open Door named Kate, Kate Graceland. Uh, sorry if I get the last name wrong. I'm terrible with names. Um, and she was just awesome. She taught like a, this, this class there, um, and eventually moved into our center to be a part of a member of our center. She was one in one in Asheville. So supportive. She's another person that just saw something in me. And another example of the universe rearranging itself according to what I needed at that moment. And I accepted that, you know, there's nothing. They don't even know what my vision problem is. They just said it's kind of like this other condition. So I can't really even say I have that. And so I don't know what's go, what's wrong with me. I know I can't see. So I, I accepted it. I accepted that it was getting worse. Um, but then Kate had told me that she had a friend who had tried these electronic glasses called eSight that brought her vision back after 15 years of having a similar experience of that of mine. And I was like, yeah, okay. <laughs> I had had some of the, the top doctors not have any suggestions, but just just a pair of glasses that are worth more than than um, my house can can be the just the, the quick fix. Yeah, that doctor at Duke University didn't mention anything about Eastside, did he? No, no. <laughs> and I'd heard about them before once from a friend, but they but they had told me that they were like fifteen, twenty thousand or something like that. Uh-huh. So I didn't talk about it. I didn't, I didn't, remember I didn't even tell you or many people that I was gonna get to try them on. Because mm. I just No, the first time I heard about it I think was when you sent me the link to the video. Yeah. And I was like, hey, I got to try these on. Which, I mean, obviously, for, like, just reasons, like, you want to make sure that, like... It works. Yeah. and that, I, I and was that so have, skeptical. And that you have a realistic opportunity to getting your hands on a pair. Exactly. Like, why get your hopes up and everybody else's hopes up if it's something that's just too far out of reach? But what I've learned in this conversation with Trevor Gates is that nothing is out of reach. Nothing's out of reach. I might guy. be short, but nothing's out of reach. Maybe the top counter. But. So what was it like to put these glasses on for the first time? You, she brought them to you? Yeah, she brought them to me. Uh-huh. She, she um, had a pair on herself. She had met me at um, after service at the Open Door Center for Spiritual Living. Um, she had, met, she had uh, met me there. Her and Kate um, set up the test. She brought a pair of Eastsight that, um, for me to try on. And... It was mind-blowing. I, Like I said earlier in the show, I saw a person's eyes and face clearly as clear could possibly be for the first time in my life. Oh, well, not the first time in life. First time in a long, long time in my life. First time I ever saw a person's eye color, yes. Mm-hmm. Um, it was absolutely incredible. I was, I was shocked. 
my hopes were so low that I couldn't I couldn't have pictured how your hopes were low going into it. Yeah, hopes were so low going into it, but boom. I read what would be considered fine print with ease with these things. Mm-hmm. They are like super futuristic. I know you got like a description of how they work there um, on your computer. Mm-hmm. And only thing I've been, only way I've been really able to describe them is they are this super high tech um, glasses that look like um, something out of Star Trek, make me look like Jordy. <laughs> um, uh-huh. super high tech cameras that send the send the whole world to my brain at um in real time and high definition so I can see like every other person. But give them the rundown of how these things work because I'm not a technical. Yeah, this person. is pretty fascinating stuff. Um, you're totally right. Like you put them on, they definitely look like something out of the future. Um, and so like in reading into eSight. It says that eSight uses intelligent uses a intelligent mix of optical and computer technology to stimulate the remaining photoreceptors in your eyes, sending more information to the brain and enhancing your ability to see. So it like um, it's it's pretty it's incredible, man. I'm gonna play the video again in just a second. So it says you wear them comfortably like a regular pair of glasses. How much so do they, comfortable. How much do they weigh? Do they feel like a regular pair of glasses? I, honestly, I, they were not heavy at all. Like they they they're kind of they look kind of bulky. Mm-hmm. They look bulky. That's why I asked. They're not heavy at all. Like I I was able to wear them comfortably, and I I could probably see myself wearing those twenty four seven. It says that. Um, Eside houses a, a high-speed, high-definition camera that captures everything the wearer is looking at, um, advanced clinically validated algorithms, optimize and enhance the footage of this camera. And the footage is then presented on two near-to-eye screens in real time with stunning clarity. Stunning. A handheld optical trackpad allows the user to refine the image further through a full suite of zoom, contrast, and focus control. So you have a little remote control? That's the, if you watch the video again, you'll see a wire coming down from my ear. Mm-hmm. That goes to the remote, control, the, the remote control. And the remote control gives you the ability to adjust the image that you're looking at. Oh, yeah. Like so, you can so zoom, much control. You can adjust the contrast if you're in low light or high light conditions. I can download a PDF to them oh. and sit here like I don't know if the camera can see me, but oh, yeah, go ahead. I want I want to show them with my head motion. Uh huh. The old head motion here. Do it. It's it, I would be like sitting here with the glasses on my face, and I could I could download a PDF to them like for school and be like this. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah, George Washington. Mm. You know, yeah. <laughs> like, like VR or something. Yeah. And they can hook up to a projector so I can see what is projecting inside my glasses. They can hook up to a TV. They can take pictures. Yeah. What it sounds, it sounds like augmented reality. Yeah. It sounds like something that like a lot of the new cell phones are going towards and working on creating, but an augmented reality experience. Um, 
It has patented biometric tilt capability, which ensures that a wearer always has access to their native peripheral vision and can be completely mobile. It has three positions up, midway, and down. The user has complete control over how immersive or mobile of an experience that they'd prefer. So you can like, yeah, full capability. It really sounds like an augment, augmented reality experience. Mm-hmm. That I will say this, that they're... The peripheral is limited. Mm-hmm. That I still I will still be cane dependent, eventually guide dog dependent. So you still will use your cane mm-hmm. to get around because they don't want you. Um, I was I was told that they don't want you to walk around with them. Um, just you know, completely without any um, safety precaution because there's no peripheral and you only get a small window. So you know, cars and walls and stuff and. Small yeah. window, schmack. <laughs> yeah, I get. I bet you on um, eSight version two point I'll be able to see you'll the be, whole. You'll be driving. Thing. Yeah, we'll be, I'll be teaching you how to drive, kid. Yeah, <laughs> right, I'm gonna run this video one more time just so anybody that's tuning in um, can take a look. It's about a minute and a half long. This is the first time that Trevor put the glasses on, and then when we come back from the video, we'll talk a little bit about what it's gonna take for him to own a pair of these things. Dude, that's pretty dope, man. That's so sick. Yeah, I'm sorry we didn't get to hey. get to the um the gist of the fundraising stuff sooner. The stories yeah. is it's okay. A lot in this short twenty three years. This is like a two hour podcast, man. And like, I mean, people listen, people tune in. And I'm all about the podcast. Um, even though many people do like the video side to it. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's to me it's all about the podcast. And all so, about the podcast. So as you've seen, like when I send out the um the email newsletters and stuff like we'll have a link to the the video we'll have a link to um your story we'll have like a nice picture probably the one this one of you wearing on like it'll be it'll be good you'll you'll it'll be good spreading the message i think the technology behind it is just fascinating to be honest with you you got as of right now you got 32 donors um a little over two thousand dollars so that's pretty fascinating. It's going quick. It's eighty five hundred on the website. It says ninety five hundred. Do they cover a hundred of it or something? I because I was able to try them on when I did. Mm-hmm. Um, this is again thanks to Kate and Mary because I was able to try them on when I did. I got a discount. Okay, they, able, they were doing a promo thing. Got five hundred dollars off. You're able to lock in a little bit of a discount. Yeah, that's pretty cool, man. All right, yippee go. Yeah, so that's uh that's what it looks like. Now let's get to the the gist of this conversation. Is what is it going to take to get you a pair of these glasses to give you this vision to give you this opportunity to um continue doing what you're doing? What's it going to take, man? It's going to take all of you. It's going to take all of you lifting me up and supporting me. I need. All of you, I need my people to rally around me to help me reclaim my vision, help me reclaim my freedom, help me, help me see the world again, help me see my family again, help me be more me than I've than I've been able to be in so many years. I lost, I lost connection with the visual world, and that's. A real loss. 
I know there's people that haven't experienced re- uh, vision loss before. It's it's a real loss that you have to grieve, and this is a major opportunity for me to to reclaim the visual world as my own and see the world for all the beauty that it that it is. The glasses cost eighty five hundred dollars. Mm-hmm. They're not covered by Medicaid. Not covered by Medicaid. No, the, the only way that you can get them is if you pay or raise enough money. Yep. Pay out of pocket or raise the money on your own. So you got a campaign going. Got a campaign going. On Eastside's website. You got the, the link. The link's posted in the comments. It's I posted it like three times already. Good, good. Um, it's $8,500. You've had this thing going for about 10 days or two weeks. Two weeks. Two um, weeks. Maybe mm-hmm. edge in three. Edge in three weeks. It's not long, not long. You've raised $2,100. Mm-hmm. You're 25% to your goal. I have some amazing people. 32 people donated to to your cause already. I love you all. Um, and somebody close to you has offered to do a matching donation. Mm-hmm. A very... Um, great person who who has been supportive to this whole thing um has is gonna put up five hundred dollars and is challenging anyone to match match him on that five hundred dollars and you would you would be the most amazing person ever i love you all for everything you've given to my fundraiser so far and i love you for the help that you can give me for going forward and there's also a couple of lovely ladies yep i got her here there's also a couple of lovely ladies who have volunteered to be of service Mm -hmm. towards this campaign these um wonderful wonderful ladies are um two two of the members of the open door for spiritual living um family that i've been so blessed to have around me they're one is um, an incredible artist, painter, and the other one does great glass work, another great artist, and they're going to be making some fantastic pieces that you can, that you can purchase, and all the, all the profit goes towards helping me see once again. And they are Carol Johnson and Kathy Ratcliffe are the two who are going to be creating this art. And you can, they are okay with giving out their numbers, so you can read them all. If you want to um, buy some art, that all the funding will go directly towards Trevor's quest for vision. You can reach Carol Johnson at 828-200-0170 and Kathy Ratcliffe at 828 828- Five two six six four eight zero. Again, the the link to his campaign is down in the comments of the section for the Audible podcast. It'll be posted anywhere and everywhere on our website and on the email newsletter that goes out. Um, if you follow the link, it tells Trevor's story, 
in pretty full detail along with a copy of this video that we've played a couple times tonight that will show you um, exactly what it is that he is he's working toward. So in saying all this, um, I mean, I'm confident, you're confident, we're going to yep. get, you're going to get these glasses, right? It's mm -hmm. just a matter of time. Um, you're going to get these glasses and you got a lot of stuff going on. A lot of stuff. I want to talk a little bit about like the things that you have done and experienced through collegiate recovery. Oh yeah. Hey, this is great part. What collegiate recovery has done for your life. And then I also want to talk a little bit about what your long-term goals are. Okay. Where you're going um, next, you know, but what, what has your experience been with collegiate recovery until like set it up a little bit? We started doing, um, some of our refuge recovery groups over at Western Carolina university mm -hmm. a year and a half ago or something. Hillside grind. And that had led to, um, being given some opportunities to get involved with collegiate recovery. And we went to the first uh, Mid-Atlantic Regional Collegiate Recovery Conference last year. Where that, I met Jay Harris, but neither of us remember. <laughs> <laughs> and that kind of like planted Love you, Jay. that kind of like planted some seeds for you. And you continued nurturing those relationships with those individuals and like putting yourself out there. So what what do you got going on with collegiate recovery like on a on a national level, man? Well, um, to roll it back, um, yeah, I, with the, um, support of these practices and the people that were around me helping me grow, I was able to get really, really involved. Um, me and you, um, put in a lot of work to bring SCC's collegiate recovery program to reality. And on, on a national level, I got to go through the help of the, the Ammon Foundation and ARHE, um, Association of Recovery and Higher Education. I got to be SEC's and WCU's um, representative student ambassador and got a paid-for ride to Houston, Texas last July my first time on an airplane, my first time in Texas. I don't like hot weather, but I love this trip. Gosh, it was so awesome. I was so terrified. Um, I went there. I met some wonderful people. Shout out to Tim. Shout out to, to my boy, Antoine. Hope you're watching, brother. We're going to go do big things, my man. Um, I got there and, and, um, I got on the plane. Well, my parents drove me to Atlanta. I got on. I got on the plane, scared out of my mind. Well, yeah. Let's let's get into that a little bit because you had never been on an airplane before. No, never. Much less traveled alone. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I forgot to travel completely alone to a different state. Mm -hmm. Just you and your walking stick. Just me and my walking stick. Boarding an airplane, and there was some there was some uh, anxiety. Oh yeah, so a pretty bad. high level of. Um, nervousness mm -hmm. leading up to that departure. Oh, yes. Right? But once again, Trevor Gates, like, put himself out there, committed to going, committed to doing it. I put in some work. Put in some work. To ease my anxiety. 
And what did you get in return? I got a life train changing trip that had long, um, that resulted in long lasting relationships, friendships. Um, so, so, so many great things. When I went there, I'll give a little short bleep or however long you want me to talk about the first trip. Um, I, so I get on the plane, scared out of my mind, uh, alone, uh, and I land, we land in Houston, I get picked up by some great people, um, who were also student ambassadors, and brought to, um, University of Houston, get to my room, and, and whatnot, and get myself unpacked, blah, 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 well, I was so tired, and I don't know what it was. I, I still to this day don't know what was wrong with me, but I wasn't on the plane long enough to have jet lag, but I felt sick that first night after being on the plane. I guess it was maybe nerves, but I was really tired, and usually because of my severe visual impairment, out of courtesy for everyone else, especially in public places, when I use the restroom, I make sure to um, clean up thoroughly because, and sorry for the potty talk, but I might pee on the seat <laughs> and not see it. But I was not that um, mindful this go around. And because I was tired and drowsy and feeling sick, I peed on the seat. And I go to, I go to bed, didn't think nothing of it. But I get up in the morning and I walk out um, of, of the room. No... Uh, walk out of the room and um my uh not at that time he wasn't my roommate but it was like these suits with like two rooms the dorms with like two rooms but one bathroom um I walked out and my uh neighbor um who, who is now a really close friend like a brother to me Antoine Mills um confronted me and he, I didn't, uh, and he said, um, you know, hey, dude, you, you peed on the seat last night. I just wanted you to say, hey, that I just want to say hey, that's not that's not cool. Can you be a little more mindful next time? A little more considerate. You know, he he called me out on it. And if if you're wondering, you know, if anyone's wondering, well, how, did he not see your cane? Did he not? Was he not paying attention to to that glaring reason? I didn't have it on me. Um, I familiarize myself with my environment, especially when I'm staying somewhere overnight, so I don't have to pop my cane out just to walk to the bathroom. So I learn where, where that, those places in my environment it are. Um, so when I walked out, I didn't, to, um, to do my thing in the morning, I didn't have my cane, obviously didn't have my glasses on. So he had no, no um, cue that I was vision impaired. And I don't. I, I didn't tell him. I didn't like. Oh, I can't see. That's why. Um, I said, "Okay, dude. I'm so sorry. Won't happen again, bro." And <laughs> went on my way. Got ready. Well, it just so happened that we started to leave at the same time. I'd gotten dressed, showered, and I walked out this time with my glasses, with my cane, and he saw that. That oh, this dude can't see. The vibe was totally different to me and him. It wasn't tense. It, we were talking. It was cool. And he turned out to be a major help through that through that whole thing. I don't know how good the trip would have went if I wouldn't have met Antoine because he led me led me around. Um, 
the whole time. And later that day, um, he, we were outside, we were taking a break and he says to me, Hey dude, I just wanted to apologize for my comments earlier. I didn't realize there was factors that caused you to, to, you know, to do what I called you out for and that you weren't just being inconsiderate or rude. Um, and he felt really bad about it. And I was like, dude, it's all good. I totally understand. I wasn't, I wasn't mad. And we spent the whole, the whole time together, uh, hanging out, uh, me, me and Antoine. And we realized, see, I'm going to give a little, little bit of, uh, of what I'll talk about here in a minute, but me and Antoine are partners right now on a big project in the Collegiate Recovery Leadership Academy through ARHE and um, Project Safe US. Um, and that happened because during this time, me and him spending all this time together, uh, we we were all he he led me around, so we were all um, ways together during that week that we were in Houston. And Antoine is African American, and I'm blind and come to find out when you put those two, um, demo, uh, demographics together, people look at you like you're a two headed unicorn <laughs> is, is what is how Antoine worded it. When he asked me, I know you can't see, but have you realized the looks people give us when we walk around? Have you noticed the things people will do? That's a little rude to both me and you. And, you know, like walking away in the middle of me talking to him when, when it's obvious I can't see that they walked away. <laughs> like, bro, really? <laughs> um, not talking to me or not, uh, um, and talking to him, not talking to him or, and talking to me, passing us both up, the looks, you know, stuff like that. So I met a really good friend there, but I also found something that I believed collegiate recovery needed. They needed, um, collegiate recovery needed to be more socially aware of the problems facing people in recovery because recovery is not just one issue, it's holistic. Everything affecting that person affects their recovery. So, collegiate recovery has to be aware of those issues. So, after going and um, during the conference, getting to sit in on some the social justice talks. They talked about racism. They talked about sexism. But the only time ableism, discrimination of people with disabilities, was ever mentioned was just in a, a list, like when they were listing off ableisms. So I hadn't talked to Antoine about this um, yet. I had had the idea, and I started asking around, hey, have you ever had someone talk about this? Um, I asked all the ladies, what do you think of this? The ladies that did the the... the talks and I got the idea and I told to Antoine he's like dude yes that is an awesome idea I want to he said can I be a part of it with you I want to um, bring awareness to how racism and ableism relate so um, re relate so closely because I've seen how we're both treated in our experience together. And I said, yes, 
yes, I want you to be a part of this. And now, being in the next thing I'm going to be doing, since I got me and him both got accepted into the Collegiate Recovery Leadership Academy, our mentor, Patrice, um, is going to guide us both to presenting at Boston University about ableism, hopefully in a keynote speech, uh, keynote presentation um, next July at the 10th National Collegiate Recovery Conference. The past one was the 9th National Collegiate Recovery Conference. And just to throw it back to the eSight, one thing I want to do with eSight, evolving this, um, uh, this collegiate recovery journey, is I want to see the crowd when I'm talking to them. I want to connect with those people and show and show and show them that that the stories me and Antoine will tell, the information we'll give them can change lives, can make people feel included in the collegiate recovery world. Um, you, you want to be able to truly experience that. Exactly. Being on that stage. I want to experience, I want to see their faces. And here we are again, little quiet Trevor Gates, who was told that he is not cut out to be a college student is going to pre be presenting on stage at the National Collegiate Recovery Conference to show the level of growth that you've achieved and the things that you've accomplished again in such a short period of time, bro. Very short. Two it feels years? it's so much packed in that in those two years. I don't I'm sure we're forgetting something. We're forgetting a lot, man. We're forgetting a lot. But to to tackle these challenges and achieve the things that you're that you're talking about and then continue to um to have these goals. And I think that I think that a, a big part of your story, and I don't even know if you are aware of this, but in the short period of time that I've known you, the things that that stand out to me are you've always had goals, right? Both long-term and short-term. Everything that you do is moving in a direction towards achieving something. Um, <clears throat> I was listening to a podcast last week with a boxer. You ever heard of Tyson Fury? Mm -hmm. He's a boxer. Yep. He was on a podcast He's last a Fury. <laughs> he was talking about his um, struggles with mental health. And he he was a heavyweight champion of the world. I think he beat Vladimir Klitschko. Klitschko? You like, probably butchered that. I think I did. Two or three years ago. He was the heavyweight champion of the world. And he um, he walked away from boxing. And he gained a ton of weight. And he um, began drinking and using cocaine heavily. And that just spiraled into like this state of depression and he was like he weighed over he weighed like 340 pounds just so out of weight in a pretty short period of time and in his podcast he was very open about his experience and he um talked about the level of depression that he faced and those internal thoughts of suicide and really really close to like taking action and when he um, relate so much when he uh 
decided that he was going to deciding to to come back to boxing was kind of what like led to his transformation in his healing process. And the biggest thing that he um, attributed that to, he didn't, he didn't take any type of medication at all. He said that the number one thing that he would suggest is obviously a healthy lifestyle, eating, working out, just the, the basics of as far as like taking care of yourself um, physically and mentally, having a positive mental attitude towards whatever our experience is. But he said the most valuable part of his story, his recovery process, was setting goals, daily goals, weekly, monthly, setting short-term and long-term goals, and then continuing to achieve those goals but then reassessing his situation and setting more goals. It's like giving you, we talk about in recovery and mental health, wellness. We talk about um, finding our passions and finding the, that thing. You know, for me, it's this podcast, meditation, but finding what it is that, um, that drives you, that you would do if you didn't get a paycheck. You know, finding that meaning in your life. And what he's saying is that by setting these goals, it allows you to, to find it, to achieve what it is that you want in your life. And it um, will create that level of contentment because you have achieved that goal, because you've accomplished what you set out to do because you've worked so freaking hard to get to where you are. And that's what I see in you, bro. That's what I see in you. You're all, you always have goals, right? You always have, whether they were clear to you at that time or not going to college, right? Mm -hmm. Getting involved in things, having such a high standard, um, for your academia, to probably an unhealthy level for the work that you do you you hold yourself to a high standard you set high goals and that i i, I think that the, that he's onto something i think that tyson fury's onto something i think that there's something there um to have that that finished product that thing that you're working towards but then reassessing it and doing it again and doing it again and doing it again so mm -hmm. with all that being said you're going on stage you're I'm going to be presenting at this um, this conference. What what are your goals, man? What are your short term goals? What are your long term goals? Personally, professionally, scholarly. Hmm. Well, um, scholarly, academia. Uh, Education, uh, education-wise, my goal is to graduate in May, walk that stage for the first, um, that college stage, let myself feel that pride for a little while, and then cry because of all the people that helped me get there. Use my eSight to see my mother's face as tears roll down her eyes as she sees her son that um, was never supposed to be up there. Walk that stage. 
Um, and then I'm gonna go. I'm gonna go on and go to Western Carolina University and pursue my bachelor's um, in social work with a minor in sociology, master's in social work, and then doctorate in clinical psychology. Um, and I'm going to personally, the short term goal personally is I've been do, I've been, my goal and it's a continuous goal is to find a new motivation in life. My, I know what that motivation is now, but I'm continuously discovering it for years. Excuse me. For years, my motivation was proving people wrong. That was, that was my motivation. My motivation was rebelling against what the system deemed me worthy of being. Um, shocking the system, if you will. Um, that was my motivation. That was my fire. That was my, you know, screw you. I'm going to do it because you told me I couldn't. You know, that's who I was. That's what got me up is, okay, teacher in middle school called me stupid in the middle of class. I'm going to prove her wrong. This, this lady that's supposed to encourage me to chase my dreams told me that um, I wasn't meant for college. I'm going to prove you wrong. This person told me that college wasn't for me. I'm going to prove you wrong. That was my motivation. I've done that. I can happily say that I've proved every single doubter wrong and proved myself wrong. Because at times I... Times, many, many times I doubted myself. Many, many times I didn't see what other these people, these wonderful people saw in me. It took them pushing me for me to do it. So my short-term goal, which also a long-term goal, is to connect with what's going to motivate me now. Because that part's, it's time, um, it's time to move on from that part, from proving people wrong. Even though I always had that, that fire in me. I've already done that. So now my motivation is I'm going to make my entire existence, everything I do in school, for, in my professional life, personal life, a, a pursuit to bettering the lives of others. I, was, I know my life's purpose. I was put here to help people. I was put here to, to improve the quality of life of others. And... That's my short-term goal. It's my long-term goal. It's my constant goal, continuous goal. And I'm going to do that by bringing awareness to ableism. I'm going to do that by, grow, by growing my relationships, by um, getting these degrees, accepting myself as much as I can, and leaning on my support system because... I can't recover alone. What do you, uh, when you, when it's all said and done, right? And you're finished with your, with your coursework and you've graduated with all those degrees that you're talking about. All of them, all the credentials. Yeah. All those credentials. What, um, what do you want to do with it? Well, that's one part of my um, journey. I don't have a concrete, this is my um, end place I want to be. I Part of me has big dreams that are can definitely come true. They're just 
are um more lot lot harder to reach like i want to open up my own um facility residential and outpatient facility where it'll be like a one-stop shop of recovery services mental health and substance use treatment services where people come no matter their ability to pay and they come and they get some of the the best treatment to better their lives and then give back to the world. That's a big dream. But you had a lot of big dreams and nothing stopped you so far. Nothing stopped me. Right. Basic dreams, I don't know. I don't know what exactly type of agency. If if that dream isn't what's to be, I don't know exactly what kind of agency I want to be in. I know I'll probably spend... I want to. Sp- the reason I set these degrees up the way I have is I want doors open for myself. Mm-hmm. I want opportunities to experience multiple side, multiple parts of this field. Um, so that's why I'm getting these specific degrees. Um, and I want, I want to spend a lot of time in substance use, a lot of time um, with mental health. I want to spend a lot of time with recovery. I want to spend a lot of time in private practice. I want to do a little bit of it all. You have my full confidence that you're going to be able to do all that, bro. Thank you, dude. Trevor Gates, I'm very proud of you, dude, for everything that you've done, man. Let's, um, we have to start winding it down. This has been the longest podcast we've ever done. I talk a lot, sorry. <laughs> I love it, man. I love it. Um, just to reset, if anybody want, it wants, is capable of helping you regain your vision through eSight. There's a live donation fundraising link that's in the comments of this podcast. It's on your Facebook page. It's on your Twitter. It's on your Instagram. Um, you can't miss it. We have a backer, somebody who is willing to do a matching donation up to $500. That'll put you over $3,000 if you get those two $500 donations. If somebody, mm-hmm. If somebody is that willing, capable of contributing to your cause, follow that link, message me, message Trevor, let us know. And we have a $500 backer that is willing to match that donation. Trevor Gates, you're a freaking badass, my friend. Don't, <laughs> Thank you. Don't let, it, don't let anybody ever tell you different. So um, with that being said, I have one last comment um, to all of our Kickstarter backers. And those of you who, like we're asking to help Trevor Gates, for those of you who believed in me and Caleb, who believed in NC Raw and the work that we're doing, the merchandise that we offered has begin, began to start rolling in. And we're going to be shipping out packages next week to you guys. We have some nice t-shirts, we have some NC Raw stickers, and we have some like postcards that are all going to be going in like a care pack for those of you who donated to us. Um, I got one of the t-shirts right here. They just came in. So the front of it, it has I'm our... I'm sure it looks awesome. Yeah, it's pretty dope, man. It has our logo on it and the back of the shirt because we, we wanted it to be... We didn't want it to just be an NC Raw t-shirt, right? Because we have a we have a link up where you can purchase NC Raw merchandise. So we wanted it to be unique to the Kickstarter donors. So on the back of it, 
it has our website, ncraw.life, and it says Kickstarter 2018. So NCRAW on the front, website, Kickstarter 2018 on the back. These, Freaking sweet. Yeah, it's, it's pretty dope, man. These things will be going out. Uh, if you didn't get any, I do not have any extras. I ordered one for every person who um, completed the survey. And however you can um, purchase NC Raw merchandise, you can get the same shirt just without the, the, the Kickstarter thing on the back. You can get that through our website on Spread Shirts. Our store, our spread shirt store. So, uh, any parting words, Trevor Gates, before we wrap this baby up? Except that you are not your thoughts, you're not your mistakes, and you're all amazing. And I love you for every single dollar and every single share you can give me. I'm going to give you my, my signature sign-off. <laughs> Hold on, I got to talk. Every time, uh, so Trevor comes to all of our refuge recovery groups, and every time he shares, that's his signature sign-off. He signs off with the double, with the double P sign. That's when we know he's done sharing. So I don't say done, I just go. Yeah, he does not say done. So um, thank you guys for listening to NC Raw, North Carolina Recovery Always. All of our content is available by visiting our website at www.ncraw.life. While you're there, subscribe to our website. At the end of each one of these shows, we create a nice little newsletter that contains additional information about the guest or information about what's taking place in the world of NC Raw. So subscribe to it. It'll notify you every time we have a new show and it will contain all of the links to the information that we discussed on the podcast, as well as um, ways to listen links to listen on all of your favorite apps, like Spotify, Google, Apple, all of those app streaming application sites. So subscribe to the website. I've been working a little bit on revamping the website and adding some new elements to it. So while you're there, after you subscribe, just kind of like check it out and, um, see what's new on the website. So we want to thank today's musical contributors, Rival, whose work can be found by searching Rival 727 on YouTube, Facebook, and SoundCloud. And then also I want to give a huge shout out to my dude, Scott Elliott. He is um, a friend of a friend or a family member of a friend. One of my close friends, Kelsey Elliott, classmate, recovery rock star, it's her little brother. He's out of Franklin, North Carolina. He's making some phenomenal music. We want to recognize local artists. If you got, if you're making music that shares a positive message, music that um, we would like to play on the podcast, shoot us a link, send us an email. We'll play it on a show. So, uh, my dude Scott, I have not personally met him. Um, we've only contacted via like social media. But he is doing some pretty solid work out of Franklin, North Carolina. He um, recently lost somebody that was very, very close to him to an opioid-related overdose. And he's really um, responded to it in a way that promotes health and promotes wellness. So this is his latest track. You can find his work on Facebook and on YouTube by searching Scott Allen Elliott. I'll also contain a, uh, a link to his YouTube site in the newsletter that goes out. 
We're going to close the show out by his latest work titled Knocking on Your Door by Scott Allen Elliott. Thank y'all for tuning in. Peace and love, y'all. Peace and love, y'all. I believe that Jesus was sent on earth from a Virgin Mary, from a given birth, from God Himself to save the earth, to save my soul for whatever what it's worth. And I ain't no saint, I sin every day, but I rep Jesus in a Chevrolet. Holy Spirit, like every day, you could waste some time, but it never changed. My beliefs gon' stay the same. Love God and Jesus is the main. Trying to spread the word, I was doing my thing. Never forget that 316. Lord, I'm asking to be my best friend. Heard you say your love never ends. Never make it, take me away from sin. Right my wrongs, give me strength to repent. Thank you.